0: <laughs> da dum da dum dam da dum da 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 dum da 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 Adrian Adrian You've never seen Rocky have you? Rocky Balboa. What? When? Rocky. Rocky Balboa, his wife was Adrian. No, serious. Serious. How good is it to be here in the West? I I heard a rumour, West is best. By the sound of it, it's not a strong rumour. I'll say it again. I heard a rumour that West is best. Well, I've been coming here for so many years. How long is it? 30 years. 30 years. 29 years. I turn 70 next year. I don't feel a day over 66. I feel good. My knees feel 100, but the rest of me feels great. Great. Are you all happy? Yeah. Pastor Tark's influence has been incredible around the world, so much so that I now have a Tark Barner haircut. No, that's what you do. It's so good to be here, Pastor Tark, Pastor Adrian, and uh, Pastor Samuel, Pastor Jody were the two kids I asked this morning are there more coming no <laughs> it's adamant Jody, adamant adamant so he just get they just get two two I got ten he's very envious <laughs> he said to me in the in the in the green room he said look talk him into having some, talk him into it I said I'm work on it fasting and prayer we'll will just uh, <laughs> swing him great to see you folks great to see you Why are you standing? (laughs) Take a seat. What time should I finish, Pastor? You'll have it. You'll have it, sir. And Pastor Tark says, jump. I say, am I allowed down yet? (laughs) I want to challenge you this morning. Is that okay? I want to challenge you. Uh, I'm an evangelist. I'm preaching More than I've ever preached in my life. My program is, just to give you a bit of an idea, I fly from here to New Guinea. We'll be in West New Britain this coming weekend, uh, and then I'll be in the main stadium. I'm doing the last night of the big crusade there, which should have, last year we had 60,000 in, 20,000 turned away. We should have 100,000 that week. I'm home for a week, and then we fly into Vanuatu. Anyone from Vanuatu? Anyone from Vanuatu Vanuatu? 3? Are you from Vanuatu? how are you? You stop all right? You don't speak the same pigeon as PNG, do you? Any PNGs here? Is there one? Can I see that hand? Is there one? Is there one? Just one? Any South Africans? I tell you, they're always here. Great numbers. <laughs> I, I, had a, I, I was preaching in the free State, in the free State, and my driver rang me and he said, Pastor Tom, I'm going to pick you up at 10.30 sharp. I am feeling very, very excited. As a matter of fact, this is the most excited I've ever been. Can you tell by my face how excited I am? Very, how was that? Was that all right? Are you from South Africa, sir? Brother there with the spectacles? Looking around to see if there's another brother with spectacles. He's just looking at me like, uh-huh. All happy? Any Scots here today? Oh, it's great to see you. Oh, it's great to be here for a wee look about. Is that Irish, Scottish? I wouldn't have a clue anymore. Hey, I have developed one. Yes. Yes. Um, can you do this thing? James Bond 007. I'm, no, I'm working on that one, I'm working on a few. Got me my all kind, yeah, my walk I've got them pretty well. But anyway, I don't know, waste time. What are you doing, Tim? Wasting time. Don't do anymore. Okay. Sometimes you've got to give yourself a good talking to. Father, would you anoint your word this morning and challenge us in Jesus' name. Father, would you challenge us deeply today in Jesus' name? And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We live in a world gone mad. We live in dangerous times. The message today is going to be like a snake bite. The venom will go in, followed by the antidote. I shall commence with the venom that's being pumped into this society at a rate now that is like a snowball down a hill. The greatest enemy on the planet right now in the Western world is not Well, I think there's many things, but one of the great things that's, I think, one of the major things that we're facing, it's not ISIS. ISIS are bad news, definitely. It's not terrorism. The terrorism that we're facing right now is in the mind. It's political correctness. And you say, oh, how can that be so bad? Political correctness. I don't know if you realize that we are being muzzled. Freedom of speech is going. If we speak out and even give our own opinion on something, we are held down as haters. If we come out against things that are unbiblical, we are classed as haters and bigots and old-fashioned and basically irrelevant. I've watched the the last five years, the speed of which... Things are being shut down. Can I tell you now, as Christians, we are in perilous times when the world is rising against us at a rate that is enough to make your head spin. Political correctness um, is something that has seemed annoying and frustrating, but it is not just a an event that's occurring, it is an ideology that's been promoted for a number of years that has been systematically worked at with one aim and that is the deconstruction of the Western civilization at its base. Um, Political correctness, another term or another name for it is, uh, what is it, what is the name of it? It is cultural Marxism cultural Marxism. It's Marxist. It is geared to preparing a society for a great revolution. And you say, when did it start? Are you sure about this? Give us some figures, some statistics, talk to us. 1923, following the First World War, Marxists got together in Frankfurt, Germany. And to discuss the fact that the revolution had gone so well in Russia, the great socialist communist revolution had gone so well, and was expected to sweep the world. But with the First World War, things stopped very abruptly through Europe, and uh, it all seemed to come to an end. But the ideal, the, the the ideology, and the the whole concept that was being spawned and developed and had been embraced so strongly by Marxists around the world, uh, was still very much in their mind, and they met in 1923 in Frankfurt, Germany, and established a thing called the Institute of Social Research. It was a, of social and cultural research. And they began to look at Marxism and the need, their need for a great social revolution that would touch the world and usher in A whole new uh, understanding of how life should be was uh, discussed and worked on by a number of strong minds, uh, minds very deceived, but they began to come up with concepts. Now, this thing began to grow and began to spread, and they decided that the best way to go was not to have a revolution that would be uh, with economics, because that obviously hadn't worked, but it would have to be cultural, it would have to be a social revolution. They said, what do we do? Well, we need to have the proletariat, um, Marxism, the workers were the proletariat, and uh, the people that were making the money and, and everyone else, they became the enemy of the workers, and now... They needed a new proletariat and so they decided, they actually pulled together Freudian thinking and they pulled Freud and Marx, who previously had been poles apart. The Russians, uh, or particularly the Marxists in Russia, would have nothing to do with the sexual revolution, but now they would embrace Freud and all the Freudian teaching. When I was at Teachers College uh, years ago, uh, learning to be an educator, Our major books were Freud uh, and uh, Darwin, Marx, every other anti-God speaker you could, writer you could imagine. I mean, we were trained in secular humanism, anti-God nonsense, but they decided that the best way to go was to champion minority groups. And the feminists, in the beginning, became the group that they championed. That has followed and it's been followed over a number of years now with the uh, Gay Lesbian Rights Movement, LP, whatever, it's a long list of numbers and I can only count about three. Then, of course, there's other minority groups in the universities, these minority groups have been the heroes and just middle-class people making their way and building the structure of society have become the enemy. And so the aim is to use these groups to champion a cause. Well, when Adolf Hitler rose up, obviously it's very difficult for the communists, he hated the communists and he was against them violently, and he was against the Jews, and many of these guys were Jews and communists. So they fled to America. They went to New York, and in New York, they were embraced by the Columbia University, a significant and major university. Later, they would have an incredible impact on the, particularly in California, where political correctness uh, really flowed, and I'll talk about that. It's almost the hub now uh, to a great degree, um, I said some stupid things over there. I got up to preach one day and I said, We just had a terrific weekend. We went dolphin shooting. And I got looked at like they were going to kill me. I said, I, I don't, I'm just joking. I never kill a dolphin. Some of you looked at me the same. <laughs> some of you looked at me the same. I, I never, I said, I love animals. I love koalas. I can't eat a whole one, but s- <laughs> I was just joking. Some of you looking at me, oh dear, you know, we save the whales and and I'm hugging a tree after church. I don't know if you, but Tim, move on before you get yourself in trouble. And so they began to propagate a whole lot of concepts that dealt with me, my rights. They embraced the minority groups and and a whole lot of things began to move and they accelerated very, very rapidly in the late 50s. Things happened that really went with the cause in the late 50s, around 1958, that was the celebration of, of uh, Darwin's nonsense, Darwinian teaching that... Uh, We don't need to go there. I actually don't believe that my great-uncle Henry was an ape (laughs) I don't believe that this world comes from nothing because people are using all their intelligence to understand how it works and then saying with every ounce of intelligence that I use to try and understand the complexities of this world, I look at it and try to analyze it with the greatest scientists of the world trying to understand it and then to say that there's no mind or no intelligence to create it It is absolutely ridiculous. Intelligence didn't come out of a big bang. And so in 1958, Russia was leading the space race. Russia was out in front. They had Yuri Gagarin. How many are old enough to remember? Are you all happy this morning? Have I offended anyone yet? Still time? I'm looking around, I see some gray hair around the place. So there'd be a few that are old enough to remember the Sputnik, who remembers the Sputnik? Just picking up the older sections, my group. Everyone over 65, just lift your hand, please. Don't just put it up so, be bold about it, go, yes. (laughs) Don't go, yes, go, yes, we're the brains of the outfit. We've been around, we've been around, you know. Been around, you know. Anyone? Supposed to be old Pacino. Been around, you know. Okay, okay. 1958. Sputnik's up there. Russia is starting to control space. The Americans are nervous because whoever controls space is gonna be in control militarily. So 1958, they they had got together and they said, the reason why Russia is ahead is because in science they're ahead. And so to celebrate Charles Darwin, they put books called Scientists in the Classroom, I think it was called, into schoolrooms all over America, propagating evolution. And virtually overnight, Americans, instead of believing that in the beginning, a God by intelligence brought this world into being by his word they began to believe in a nonsensical idea that out of nothing comes something and the schools were full of it and the teachers embraced it today in a university if you tell someone in the universities in this country in australia that you're a creationist they will laugh at you they will mock you like you're from another century like you believe the earth's flat And so around about the same time, a little bit after that, Madeleine O'Hare, a woman who was an absolute atheist, pretty much on her own, began to get support and through the courts shut prayer out of the schools in America. Today, kids are not even allowed in the schoolyard in some schools in America to praise the Lord or use his name. I think it's sick that There are shopping centers that won't play Christmas carols because we might offend someone. Well, let's offend. I'll go and sing them myself. I don't sing well, but I can sing them. People come to the country and you recognize it's built on Judeo Christian foundations, and we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We actually believe that Christmas is not about Santa Claus, but it's about, even though it's probably the wrong season of the year from the original birth, but we still celebrate the birth of the king. If you don't like it, bad luck. If it offends you, be offended. I've been offended. I get offended regularly. Does it do any damage? No, a bit of offense doesn't hurt you. People are so worried about getting offended. In the universities around the place, we can't say something it might offend someone. Schools, we can't talk about... A thing being a masterpiece because, or some kid's done a fantastic piece of work, we can't tell them how good it is because it might offend some kid that can't paint or something. When we have a race, we're not allowed to have a winner. That's like Monty Python, the race for people with no sense of direction. Fire the gun, they all win a different direction. Have a football match, but you're not allowed to have a winner. I've found in life there are winners, there are people that win. People that have a heart to win, people full of the Holy Ghost that want to win. People that know that they're called to be the head, not the tail. I don't teach the kids to be also rans. I want to teach the kids to be out in front. Not to boast about it. Boast a little bit. My football my football team in Adelaide. In Adelaide Crows. Top of the ladder. Top. Are you a Crow supporter? Stand up, please. Who was that Crow supporter? Is that you, ma'am? Are you a Crow supporter? Where? You beauty. How many of you? Sing it with me! Where the pride of South Australia, where the mighty Adelaide grows. Where courage is stronger, faster, and respected by our foes. Admiration of the nation, our determination grows. Ooh, ooh. Where the pride of South Australia, where the mighty Adelaide crows. I don't care about rugby or cricket (laughs) long as my mighty crows (coughs) are dominating. So, in the 60s, things went mad in America. In in Laurel Canyon in California, there were experimentation with mind uh, brainwashing and so on. And they began to use lysergic whatever acid lysergic, something rather acid, LSD, or acid. And it got out, the people experimenting with it liked it, and it got in the public, and it it spread. And it spread to such a degree that the spread of LSD, particularly through the music groups and the stuff that was being propagated and the things that were happening through drugs, the Bible speaks in the last days of, of sorcery, and the word for sorcery is pharmakia, which is witchcraft induced by drugs. LSD spread the country. It spread across the United States. The musicians grabbed it. Groups like the Beatles, who had been singing love ballads. Love, love me too. You know, really complex words. I love you. Can't buy me love. Everything was love. Love, 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 love. All you need is love. La da 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 da. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. <laughs> but then they changed to songs like, I am the Eggman, I am the Walrus, I am the Eggman, Rukuku I am you, and you are me, and we're all together. See how we run like pigs from a gun. See how we run. I'm crying. Seven little pilchards climbing up the Eiffel Tower. Man, you've been a naughty boy. You've let your hair grow long. I am the Eggman. I am the walrus. Rukuka too. Now, there was a change. Looking through a glass onion, uh, while my guitar gently weeps, so much stuff that this with the Beatles and the music groups, uh, LSD went through the music world. Woodstock, They're all stoned out of their brains at Woodstock. Woodstock was like a welcoming in of the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Jupiter aligned with Mars and peace with the planets. And Woodstock was a statement to the youth of the world. We're going our own way. The hippie movement, the summer of love in 1967. How many remember the hippies? Tune in. Turn on, drop out. Tremendous philosophy. Turn on, tune in, drop out, burn your draft card. Summer of love. San Francisco, they all arrived. Volkswagens painted with flowers like some of you folk had. Caftans. Flowers. If you're going to San Francisco. Well, I'm just feeling like singing today. Be sure to wear a flower in your hair. That was like their theme song. And they rocked into San Francisco, soaked with drugs, soaked with LSD, lost and venturing into a new realm. Jimmy Hendrix and his band, he would say, are you experienced? And the challenge was to leave this natural realm and explore this inward realm and this whole inward thing of the the Marxist, cultural Marxism grabbed into that and you might have heard a term called make love, a statement, make love, not war. How many have heard that? Well, that came from Herbert Marcuse, one of the most revolutionary Marxists who became the voice of the hippie movement. That was his words from a book he wrote called Eros and Civilization that was embraced. And the whole thing said, it is the repression of men's sexual drives that causes wars. And if we take off the limitations sexually, so that if a person wants to uh, be whatever sexually, whatever they want to go into, by all means, take off the repression, and that way you'll find that the desire for war will be finished. John Lennon, of course, he uh, imagined there's no heaven. It isn't hard. It? Imagine all the people living in a world of love. Oh, 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 oh. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. World of love. He and Yoko had their big sleep in. they make love not war. That was the theme. And so all of a sudden you have a whole mentality in a generation that began to move and swing the thinking so that today we have strong anti-Christ thinking. The the whole structure of what's going on with with, with, uh, economic, sorry, with social Marxism is that there's an embracing of the minority groups. We have to be tolerant of everything that they want to do. Everything the minority groups are saying, we have to be tolerant. But if we're not tolerant, have a look at the intolerance we'll throw at you. You're a hater and a bigot and outdated. So we have a generation right now that doesn't want God. In fact, they're fighting God and they're declaring God is dead. They've been declaring that since the late 1800s when when Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche declared God is dead. Now, I happen to be of the opinion that Nietzsche, in his own way, was a prophet. And the statement, God is dead, paints him in a very bad light, but Nietzsche did ask major questions. In fact, as a prophet, if you, in a lot of what he was sharing, he was making statements that are most interesting. He wrote a, a thing called Diary of a Madman, poem about a madman. The madman came into town yelling out, where's God? Where's God? I'm looking for God. A madman. I'm looking. Where's God? We've killed him. He's dead. Then he begins to ask the question, we've killed him. We've killed God. God is dead. We killed him. We killed him in the minds of a generation. We killed him in the hearts of a generation. Who shall wipe the blood from our knives? Who Basically, we'll answer the questions about the horizons and he asks questions, we've killed God, now what? A society that's killed God doesn't want God, now what? We live in a society right now where they don't want to hear about God. God, dead. Universities, America right now, 90%, 96%, 90-something percent of the lecturers in America embrace this. There's some speakers in California, Berkeley. They came to speak about views that opposed the intolerance, and they rioted and smashed windows and did everything to keep them out. You have to be tolerant to the minority groups. If you're not, we'll turn on you. I'll turn on you. And so we face a world right now that doesn't think God. They don't want to talk about Him. They're launching out into their brave new world that is without God, that has no moral boundaries, that has no absolutes, to the degree where I saw a guy interviewed on YouTube, and this guy was interviewing people in the uni, and he said something along this line, I might, I might get it a bit wrong, but he said to this girl, um, what do you think of all this stuff that was happening uh, in this area we're talking about, and she said, yeah, well, this is all important now, and he said, what about if I told you that I'm actually a woman, he's a manly looking guy, she said, well, you know, if you think you are a woman, and uh, then that's I'm okay with that, you feel that and that's, you're able to make your own truth what is truth? Truth is the truth you invent for yourself now absolutes what absolutes? everything's relative even the church is caught up in it to a great degree you ask major questions about major things in the Bible on TV you watch the pastors shrink and hide and skirt the answer because they know that their influence and power get taken if they say what the bible says straight out you can skirt round it but be careful that you don't be careful what you say this guy said what about if i told you i'm actually a chinese woman and she looked like well i find that hard to believe but if you feel that that and that's how you are. Well, I'm comfortable for you to feel. What about if I'm a six foot seven Chinese woman? Well, that's a little bit harder to believe. Look, I've worked out that if you take a ruler, I'm five foot ten. How, what's five foot ten in the old scale? One what? See, you don't know anything about centimeters. stupid idea bringing that in. <laughs> You're a six footer, five foot ten, six foot three, easy. Miles per gallon, stick with it. Pounds, shillings, pence, and halfpennies. Bring them back. <laughs> Ten shillings, twelve pence to a shilling. It's good money. I used to go to the movies for threepence and get tuppence worth of fish and chips and then catch the tram home. Under ten cents for a day at the movies, they were the days. <laughs> Buy a bag of Jaffers, roll a few down. <laughs> Swap comics at halftime. Get the mumps from some kids' cough comics. <laughs> Phantom were the best to get. Phantom comics if you can get them, they were gold. Now hey, what was I talking about before? I interrupted myself with that stupidity. Where was I at? I completely bamboozled myself. Where was I up to? Yeah, it's the no absolutes. We're in a society that mentally is just getting by without God. You take God out, that's the snake bite. Oh, man, look how long I've gone. That's the snake bite. Would you like the antidote? All right. Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. Firstly, let me say this to you. Let me say it slowly and very carefully. There has never been a day in world history where it would be better to be a Christian than now. Christians flourish under pressure. Pressure brings the best out of us. We need a bit of pressure. Sometimes God allows a bit of pressure so that We start digging deep to find out what really makes us tick. And you see, the church can just roll on and be the church. But God is squeezing the church and saying, I've got a plan for the church. I want to do something through my church. I want my church to go from being a passive, easygoing, comfortable bunch of people in the Western world to a bunch of people with the full armor of God, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may withstand, stand against the wiles, the methodists, the, the mind games of the devil, put on, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers, wicked spirits. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor that you may withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That's a military term for going straight through the middle, conquering the enemy and standing up there like Braveheart. Freedom! (laughs) I'm William Wallace. You're not William Wallace. Let me read something to you. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We walk around, parapatea, we walk around in the flesh, in the natural, but we don't War, and the Greek word for war is stratumea. Though we walk in the flesh, our campaign in war, which we're in, is not natural. For the weapons of our warfare are not natural, but divinely, supernaturally powerful through God to the utter demolition of strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a fortress built to keep people in, that's a prison, or to keep people out, that's a castle. The devil builds strongholds in the mind, strongholds that keep God out. And he's endeavoring through the media and everything else to keep God out. But I've learned something about God. He's hard to keep out. When God wants to come in, he doesn't even knock. When he wants to come in, he invades. When God decides that he's had enough, he stirs his people up with a passion to cry out until in response to his prayer, God takes the field. What is revival? It's God taking the field. When God takes the field, all of a sudden, people know that there's an absolute. When In the Welsh revival, when, when Evan Roberts, one man... One man under an anointing of the power of God sat in the room. He was like a stick of radium. And men would fall and shriek on their face begging God for mercy just at the presence of a God. His presence bringing an absolute there so strong that immediately he was aware of heaven and hell. They're not going to listen to us talk too much about heaven and hell. The thing that's going to move them is the tangible strength of God coming like a fire the word of knowledge burning in your mouth and mine a touch of God so that when they look in our eyes they see something burning in there that they don't have wake up the mighty men sound the alarm blow the trumpet in Zion sound the alarm in my holy mountain wake up you mighty men Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak begin to say, I'm strong. If ever the church has to rise, if the church doesn't rise, this thing will run over us like a flood. And we're waiting for everybody else to rise up. God's waiting for you and I. You say, well, I'm not going to be able to do much. You may very well be one of the major answers. As for me and my house, we're rising up. We're standing up. We're hungry. We're hungry right now. Friday night, you've got a prayer meeting here. May it not just be a token prayer meeting, but a laser-pointed prayer that hangs on to God, that seizes God and says, we will not let you go until you come with blessing. God is looking. Oh, I could get excited right now. Is that okay? I'm in a pulpit-pounding, jumping, if I could. He's looking for a church somewhere in New Zealand that says, we are going to take hold of you, Father. We're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to set our face like flint. Yeah. And there's going to be a manifestation of power coming out of a church somewhere in New Zealand that's so mighty that all over the world people start flying into sea see. What you're carrying. God's looking for young men, young women, older men, older women that say, God, it's time for me to fulfill my destiny. I don't want to get to the end of this life and feel like I just went through the motions like a like a dress rehearsal. I want to go through this life. Having been with the with a smell of cordite and a few wounds and a my helmet dinted and my armor beaten up and my sword with some, some of the edges of the blade a little touched and a bit of blood on the blade. And a trail of dead giants. I want 100,000 souls by the end of the year. And 100,000 between now and the end of the year. So can you get that? I think we can get more than that. I think we can get more than that. Maybe double that this year. Maybe double. Because time's short. And if the church doesn't rise, this thing will bind us and we'll just be an insignificant little group of people that are not even taken serious. But I think God is saying to the church, are we ready to go? There's a mandate on this church. There's a mandate on everyone in this church. There's a mandate, sir on you, that's brilliant The mandate on you and you and my brother who tried to invade the platform platform invader (laughs) ruthlessly booted off by this brother (laughs) are we called to potter about are we called to bring about a holy river because when God hits he says this I'm just going to preach this out, because it's because I believe it's geared towards something happening. I believe that I'm here today, not just as a friend of the house and an evangelist, I really believe today that I'm speaking to you as one with God's mantle of prophecy for the church right now. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. So God says we're in a war for the weapons of our warfare, of our warfare the instruments of war that are ours. are mighty word dunatos, the dynamic power, the dunamis of God, mighty through God, to the pulling down or the demolition of strongholds. And then it says, "What are the strongholds? Listen to them. We're destroying speculations." reasonings the greek word logismos logismos logical thinking we are bringing down speculations reasonings ideologies ideologies and every high and lofty thing raised against the knowledge of god can i say to you i believe the answer to the body of christ right now on this planet is a massive move of God's power and presence. A massive move of revival power. A massive demonstration of power. Because when God comes in great power, no one can ignore it. No one can, when miracles are breaking out and the crutches are being laid on the platform. And we ask the question, who did that? You see, even... The Pharisees asked Jesus the question, and I'm going to preach about it tonight, and then we're going to have a move of power here tonight. By what power and what authority, what authority are you doing this thing? Tonight's message will flow straight out of here, straight from here, straight into the miraculous. It's time for the church to be the church Ephesians 1 last verse says we are the fullness the pleroma the overflowing fullness of him that fills all and in all I don't want to try to apologise or try to work my way through with people these days I want to demonstrate the power of God so strongly it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit I'll tell you now In the Western world, in New Zealand and Australia, if the church doesn't rise up, five years from now, she'll be swallowed up. And we'll be muzzled, unable even to share our faith with someone for fear of going to jail. And you say, that's extreme. It's getting that close now. It's getting so close now, that a few years' time to even tell someone about Christ will be enough to get us locked up. We'll get reported try to win people to Christ that report us because the hatred is building so strong. The antichrist spirit at the moment is accelerating on the earth at a rate I've never seen before but there's a church that's got to rise to the occasion and I'm going to ask you a question in a moment there was a revival in Australia in a place called Alco Island a few years ago. It's an Aboriginal island, it was Alco by name and it was Alco by activity. It was shocking, it was a disaster. The kids were starving, booze ran the place and the elders, Aboriginal elders got together and they said, if we keep going, our place is doomed. What are we gonna do about it? It Starts with leadership. You have got great leaders here. And they're going to lead you into something pretty significant. They are doing that. The elders said, we're going down into this area of bamboos to pray. They went down into an area of bamboo. And they cleared a space and they fasted and prayed for several weeks. The people looked down one night and the whole thing had caught fire. They ran down to put it out, but it was a supernatural fire. They came out of there with such an anointing on them, their faces shining, that the whole community was converted. Wow. And there's a group of young people rose up and said, we're going all over Australia, young Aboriginal people. And they said, we're going all over Australia carrying this fire. They went down firstly to a place called Warburton, which was a, a rugged area controlled by Aboriginal law, which is very strong. And they went in there and began to preach and a revival broke out. But the elders came in with their spears. And they said to them, this has happened here before, then everyone went back. You'll come and do it, and it'll go back where it was. You continue, we're going to kill you here. And they took a spear and drew a line, a line in the dirt. They said, any of you that are going to continue to preach, step over, we'll kill you now. And they were serious. Several turned away, but the bulk of them stepped over the line. And as they stepped over the line, the power of God came down. And one of the leaders of the group stood up and he said, I know, we know you're going to kill us, but let us speak first. They began to speak. And as they spoke, the glory came down. The glory came down. The whole place broke into revival. That group of young people went church by church right through Western Australia. They would sit in the church and the wind of God would go through the church. People would be knocked all over the floor under the hand of God. But I'm going to say something to you. i said say it very honestly. I believe for our nations Australia and New Zealand we're really so close even the name Anzac binds us together and what we've shared in war has been something that makes our link as close as brothers but in our two nations right now and across the western world there's a line being drawn in the sand and I think God's drawing it and he's saying to his church, are you willing to stand up and be counted? Are you willing to rise up in the fullness of my power? Are you willing to step into all that I'm offering you? I mean, for so long I've watched the church pull away from the power of God, not into the power of God. I've watched the church almost be too smart for God, but without the power and the presence of God, we're wasting our time. there's a line in the sand this morning I want every person in this building who would say Father I am going to wake up as a mighty man or a mighty woman and Father I'm going after you for my family and for my nation I'm going to get into prayer I think this night of prayer is going to be the start we used to, when I was a youth pastor we used to have one every Friday night And once every four or five weeks, we'd go all night, seven o'clock at night till seven in the morning, pressing into God. And we we had a youth revival. There's a revival coming here. You know it. Pastor talks about it regularly. But I believe that there's a laying of a fresh foundation ready for a great move. I believe it's God. I believe the Lord is saying, are you ready to lay a fresh foundation ready for a wave of God unlike anything you've ever seen? If you imagine that right now there's a line in the sand, I want every person in this building, I'm not going to ask you to cross the line, but I'm going to ask you just to imagine that right in front of you as you stand, that you're stepping over that line. But I want every person that would say, God, I've heard you this morning, and I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to stand with the challenge, because I'm going to another level. If there's prayer, I'm going to get involved. If I can, even in my own time, I'm going to pray. I believe it's time for me to shake at the slumber and take the sleep out of my eyes and stand up because I know that's what God is saying to me and I'm crossing the line myself. But if God's spoken to you this morning, would you stand to your feet, please? I want you to lift your hands. I feel the Lord saying this. Have I not, over many years now, spoken of a wave of my power that would be beyond your understanding? Have you not heard time and again that out of your midst I would do something on a scale which, even if described, you would not be able to believe it? The Lord would say, If you will seek me and hunger for me take time for me like never before with a fresh passion if you'll fast and pray and hunger and desire me with everything that, that is within you then I indeed will come and I'll visit you and I'll visit your children and I'll visit your city And out from the midst of this place would go an anointing so strong. Out from this place would go a flow of power that would be astounding. But the Lord says it will be preceded by passion, by hunger, and by a commitment that says we are not just open to a revival, but we are totally and absolutely committed. And we're prepared to go the whole way for a move of God that will shake with defiance in the face of everything that the enemy throws. Father, I pray for this house. I'm praying for you now that upon this church would come a hunger to pray, a hunger for your presence, a hunger for your power.